Hey, it's Jeff and Jeremy from the Ultra Running Guys. And if you're here, you probably already know that we started this podcast to help you take your next step in your ultra running journey. And we just wanted to take a moment to say thank you and let you know how much we appreciate you being part of the Ultra Running Guys community because we know there are a million other ways you could choose to spend this time. We love hearing from you. We're always trying to improve. So if you have guest suggestions or feedback, hit us up through social media or reach out to us at theultrarunningguys at gmail.com. And again, thanks for plugging in. And with that, enjoy the episode. And remember, when in doubt, just show up. I do this for the experience. It's the whole, that whole experience. The people you meet, just doing something hard and overcoming things. And it's always going to be something different because when, when I was talking about my, my foot issue I had, that's probably not going to be an issue next time. It's probably going to be, who knows, like last month, two months ago was my lungs. Like it's, it's always something. <laughs> You don't know what you're going to try to get through, but, and that's what I like because it's, it's the unpredictable. And welcome back to the Ultra Running Guys. You got Jeremy Reynolds and Jeff Winchester of the Ultra Running Guys. And the reason that we're here is to help you take your next step in your ultra running journey. And if, if it is your first time with us, Welcome. We're so excited to have you. And if you've been around for a while, thank you so much for being part of the Erg family. We have the same ask every time. If you can give us the review, give us the star rating, all that good stuff. If you're finding value, please share with your friends. It helps out tremendously. But enough with that. Let's get on to our guest. So our guest tonight is an Air Force veteran out of Arizona who is building quite the life resume, both on and off the course. After first jumping into ultras in 2020, she has since racked up her share of buckles, including podiums at the Mesquite Canyon 50-miler, the Muggion Monster 100-miler, and even the Leona Divide 100K that we spotlighted last week in our Race Spotlight series. In addition to races, if you scroll through her Instagram, you'll see a catalog of adventures that take her through canyons, mountains, waterfalls, cactuses, and more. And her most recent adventure was taking on the inaugural Oregon 200, which is a 200-mile out-and-back course that includes 25,000 feet of gain and loss, traversing trails in the Pacific Northwest. It looked incredible, so stick around to hear how this dental hygienist, who is also a mother of three teenage daughters, is using Trail and Ultra to build that resume of experiences that just screams you only live once. And with that, Ashley Durston, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. <laughs> Look, we are so excited. And we talked before, I've got a lot of uh, connections out in Arizona. I wasn't kidding when you look at your Instagram. I mean, it just looks like an incredible playground. So we're excited to talk about some of that. But first, we want to kind of get to know you a little bit, how, know how you got into running. So we do know that you started road running in 2013. Yep. What what was the catalyst? What got you running in the first place? Actually, we were just talking about this. Um, my friend got me into a, the obstacle course racing for mm -hmm. fun. It was just like a mud run for girls. And uh, one of our friends, she was a breast cancer survivor and it was benefiting breast cancer survivors. Had so much fun that I was like, what? I want to get more into this like obstacle course racing just for fun. And then it took off from there. I wanted to do tougher, harder ones like the, the Tough Mudder and a couple Spartans and then... That's what got me into running, really. Very cool. So, and, and we mentioned that was actually really what got us into ultra. Je Jeff was already running a little bit, but 
Spartan races and OCR kind of what got me running as well. But we know there's a difference between some of the road stuff and then trails. And again, especially seeing the pictures, like you're out there doing some pretty cool stuff. So 2017, you really made the switch from roads to trails. How did that happen? So I started hiking a lot more. My husband at the time is my ex-husband, but um, he was deployed and I started getting my time away from the kids and everything was hiking. And then I just started running and hiking and I didn't really know the whole trail running community. That was a thing. So I was like out there just running and hiking and running and hiking. And then, then I found um, exterior racing with trail races. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's when I like got into the community. That's fantastic. Um, So one of the questions that we had for you is because you live in Arizona. He's from Arizona. I'm not from that area. Connections in Arizona. You have connections. I'm so sorry. He's got connections there. (laughs) I have no idea what the area looks like. I have a connection there too. My daughter lives in Phoenix, but she doesn't run. Um, If I go visit her though, in in that same area that you're located, what are some must um, go-to trails I should try out? what's really close to me is my favorite mountain range, which is the white tank mountains. And I like highly recommend that. It's just, it's such a gorgeous area. And I just love, I just love it. I know um, you're talking about your daughter in Scottsdale that has like camelback close by. You can see those mountains. I mean, that Piestawa peak, all those are very tourist friendly. Like people know about those, but they're really crowded. So you want to kind of get away from it all. Uh, The white tanks to me. And then there's a superstition mountains that's all the way East, far East. But, uh, a lot of those trails are not, you have to plan to hike, you know, they're really rugged out there, but that's a beautiful area too. Like I, you know, if you're coming to visit, I would recommend that area too. Very cool. I would do well on rugged. (laughs) I don't believe you. No, I am. I live near the beach. It is flat as a pancake. No. <laughs> you know what I do think is interesting though, and you said it, we've actually had a handful of guests that said, Hey, I didn't I never knew that trail running is a thing. Mm-hmm. Like when I started, I just started hiking. I didn't know that people ran trails. Like I thought I invented a sport. We've heard that more than one time. And yeah. then they realized like there's whole this whole community out there. What was your favorite thing? Well, let me ask this. Did you kind of get ingrained in the community or did you do a lot of that solo for a while before you kind of got into the ultra and trail world that you're in now? I did do it solo for quite a while. Then, like I said, it was like exterior races I got into and I, I really fell in love with the community, but then that was not too long after that, that's when the whole COVID thing happened. So I just went back to just being solo for a while. And then um, months like into that, when things were starting to open up, I started a group out here in the white tanks and I was running a, like a weekly group twice a week. And so that was great. But then life in the last year, I had to let it go, but mm-hmm. hoping in the future to bring it, bring it back. Cause that was fun having a group. And so you mentioned 2020, obviously there was a change there, but that was also the year of your first ultra, right? Yeah. The, so it's January, January. Oh no, sorry. No, January is my first trail race. My first ultra was, um, fall of 2020. So when it was like one of the first races to start back up. It was in uh, Pass Mountain over in uh, Usury Park in Phoenix. Yeah. And so was it just kind of the standard progression? You had done other things and you decided that you wanted to go longer or or what was the draw? What made you say, okay, I'm ready to take on kind of the next step and and get into the ultra world? So, yeah, I just, I loved, 
progressing with miles. So I wanted to start with that 50K and see how that was. And I just always wanted to go longer and longer after each race I did. So it's like my next goal would be the the longer one. I just, yeah, I just love that endurance running, just being out for a long time. I love that, those long training runs that you're out there for a long time. Like, yeah. And and so I actually want to talk about some specifics because you mentioned kind of time in the canyon, some of the rim to rim to rim stuff. Um, I want to get in that to just a second, but it's like I mentioned in the intro, when I like scroll through your Instagram, like the first thing I thought of was like, okay, and tell me if I'm right. But I was like, she really makes it a point to build experiences to kind of take on the adventure of life. Cause like I said, I'm not kidding. Right. There's waterfalls. Like I see those pictures like, Oh my gosh, like that's where I want to go on vacation. Those are the things I want to do. Those are the experiences I want to create. Is that something that is intentional for you or do you just happen to have a good Instagram feed? Cause that stuff's at your back door. (laughs) (laughs) I guess a little bit of both because Arizona is amazing, but yeah, I just, it's how I live my life. I don't know if it's from like everything I've been through in my life. Like I live my life, like enjoy every single day, every moment, you know? So I do this for fun. It's my hobby. You know, it's like my family life, my kids, my work and everything. So this whole running and all this like training and everything, everything has to be fun to me because it's like my time that's spending out there. So I like to go and travel and I love traveling. So I like to mix all that together, the running, the traveling, and then just like taking time to actually enjoy where you're at and go off, like off the path to find that waterfall or, you know, to find that view and all that. So I'm just curious, do you, do you see that, um, everything you're doing now is become a little bit more contagious for your kids? Um, do you feel like you're modeling some of that to them now? I know some of the things I'm doing, they're just like, I can't believe it. Like when I did the 200, they're like, I can't believe you did that, you know? So yeah, I just, that's what I hope to model to them is that, you know, you can do anything that, that you're passionate about. You know, if I wasn't passionate about this, I wouldn't, I would, you know, I would stop doing half the stuff I would do, but that's what gets me to do the hard things is like, I just love it. This is my passion. So yeah. So that's so why I tell them it doesn't have to be running, but just find something in life that you're really passionate about, you know? That's cool. And, yeah. And nothing, nothing can limit you. You limit your own self. You know, I know that's a common phrase, but it's true. We limit ourselves. Listen, you got three teenage daughters. I've got three kids myself. Anything that you're doing that seems like crazy to them, they're, they're paying attention. The fact that yeah. you're doing a podcast tonight, regardless right? They're like, Oh, mom's doing a podcast. Like mom's on a podcast folks. <laughs> so it just, it, it gets their attention. They may not act excited about it, but they're telling their friends because you know, oh, they don't yes. tell you. <laughs> right. Yes, that's true. That is true. <laughs> that's awesome. So I went on a bit of a tangent when you said about creating an unforgettable experience. I'm like, yeah. And it's showing her kids a whole different way of living and that they can have their entire life in front of them. It's cool. Well, yes. and, and so I think we, and we've talked about this uh, probably several times on the show. Now I feel like and there's probably more than two buckets, but I feel like when we talk to people, there's people that are really after the accomplishment. Like, Hey, when they think about things, it's, I can't wait to cross the finish line. This is what I'm working for. It's that. Right. And I think there's probably always a little bit of that, but then there's the other side where people that really are after the experience that comes along with that. And I've tended to, to try to move towards the experience. Cause a lot of times it's been, Hey, when I accomplish this thing 
And it really struck me. I was like, okay, I think that Ashley is in that experience side. Like, of course there's big things you want to do and there's things you want to point at. Yeah. Am I right in thinking that? Very right. Yes. Yes. So it is all by experience. So I, we were just talking about my DNF that I had that race is, was so, even though it was a DNF, I absolutely love that race. And it was one of my most, like my top, I would say top three race experiences ever. And, you know, because the whole experience of the whole thing, even to the DNF, like how hard that struggle was and what I felt like in the moment and how hard it got. And like, yeah, like the whole experience, I wouldn't change it for anything. Like I, you know, I don't regret anything. It was, I wasn't like, it wasn't a sad DNF. I came through to saw the race director at the end. I was happy. (laughs) Like, I was like, this is great. I love that. I mean, to me, joy is, is winning. Right. And we, we've talked to people that just like that, Hey, DNF, but amazing experience. So to other people that said, yeah, I won, but I'm upset that I didn't do better. We've actually heard you say something similar to that in a podcast, right? Um, not that you were upset, but like, Oh, I didn't hit my goal. Like, well, you won. Yeah. Um, yeah. but we've seen people really beat themselves up over a performance right. where they actually did very well. And so I love seeing the joy come out. Cause like I said, I think that's winning. And, and now for everybody who is listening that was not in the conversation before the show, we're referring to the Palisades 100 that you ran. Um, oh, yes. You had some breathing issues that took place. Right. Uh, you ended up, I think, if I remember correctly, you had an oxygen level, I think, of like 84, 80%. Yes. Um, so it was pretty low and people were all familiar with COVID and what COVID did with people's oxygen numbers. It wasn't necessarily yeah. COVID. It was just low oxygen that you that you found out about. And so because right. you had breathing pro- problems on the top of the mountain, what happened next? I, well, I didn't make the cutoff at 95 miles. <laughs> so close, Ashley. <laughs> <laughs> so close. <laughs> so close. <laughs> and for everybody listening, here's the kicker, right? Is that you actually, quote unquote, finished the race because you had to walk it in. So you completed the distance. Right. It, it was really just a matter of not making the cutoff because of the issue that you were dealing with. So right. I, mean, I say it counts, right? She didn't get a buckle. <laughs> That's true. No, no buckle. <laughs> you got to keep her lungs though. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> At least I survived. <laughs> well, and we'll probably dive into that a little bit more because I'm very interested as we talk about the 200, how that played into it, but I don't want to get ahead of myself too much yet, but we kind of had that on the agenda. Um, so one of the things I mentioned rim to rim to rim, I'm fascinated by it. We've had a couple guests on the show that have really talked about it, but when we asked in an email, like, Hey, what are some of your favorite, you know, running memories? You made the point of saying, well, here's some race memories, but at the same time, I, you know, while I really enjoy the races, I really enjoy the, the long training runs. And you mentioned rim to rim to rim. You also said, while I like running with people. I also really enjoy some of those solo long training runs. And there was a quote here. You said, I love sharing miles with friends, but solo runs like that truly feed my soul. So I'm interested, what makes the Grand Canyon kind of rim to rim to rim very special? And then why do you enjoy that time by yourself? So um, I recommend this to anyone that's into ultra running, like the, the rim to rim to rim, it's something else. Like the Grand Canyon is amazing. I don't know. It's just something about it. Like every time I get there, it's like almost like going to Disney world as a kid. Like you get just like overwhelmed with this joy when you look over the edge and you know, you're going to start running down it. And then 
it's just it's an experience like it constantly changes the it's every view is just like gorgeous the entire the whole 50 miles of it 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 depends on which way you go for the distance but typically the way i go down bright angel and then back up bright angel it's around 50 and um the north rim is just so pretty with all the trees and everything you just meet people along the way because it's a big tourist, you know, there's always people out there. You meet hikers from all over the world. You meet people from Europe, people from all over the United States, you know, I met people from Texas. Like every time I go there, I meet different people, but I've even run into people I know along the way, which is funny seeing people, you know, when you're in the Grand Canyon, but every single time it's been a different experience. But yeah, I told you about the one time I went solo and I don't, I don't know what it is about solo runs. Like it's just, you're on your own time. So you can take as much time as you want and do whatever you want. So you're not worried about someone else's like, you know, their time frame and everything. But I feel like I really get to know people more along the way. Cause you're kind of like, you want to have quick conversations when you're with the group or with people so you can keep on going, you know, so you don't hold everyone up. But I got the time to like really talk to people and get to know people along the way, you know? So, and just doing it, by your, I don't know, something about doing it by things like this that are tough by yourself. For me, I, I just, I just get something from that. You said you would recommend it to anybody who does ultra running. So it's going to make me ask some questions. What's the best time yeah. of year to do this? So the the best time for the temperature is fall or spring. Fall or fall. And so I've done it, I've done it in the summer, but it's really hot, especially if you're not used to it. And you have to just, you have to make sure beforehand all the water they have on their website when the water's on or off. So you just definitely want to plan for that. So that's what's wonderful about the Grand Canyon too. You don't have to worry about packing a ton of gear, water, because a lot of food. And then there's Phantom Ranch in the middle. If, if it's open and you need more food, you can buy food there. But um, all the water stops along the way that you can refill your, but you just have to make sure which ones are open. You know, sometimes they have water breaks throughout the year. They, they, they're plumbing and stuff. So they sometimes have to shut water off. So if you're planning on that water, it, it's kind of devastating when it's not open. So if you just know beforehand what water is open, but you can get, so in the, so I'm saying it's doable in the summer. I've done a few of these in the summer. It's just, you have to get in the river, you know, get the water on you. Bright Angel has a lot of water along the way. South Kaibab doesn't have water um, so, where you can get in the water. So for us mid to back of the pack runners <clears throat> that aren't chasing an FKT on the, um, the <laughs> rim here, uh, how much time should I plan for? Uh, for like 15 plus hours. Okay. I would say it all depends, but you can do it in a day, but I would say plan for 15 plus hours. Uh, that that climb out once you climb up north and then you're coming back up south you're it's just it's a slow climb because you're kind of taxed from the day yeah yeah well That's i'm trying the to figure I, the reason i'm asking is because like i said my daughter's in is, is in arizona and maybe i can convince my wife to drop me off on a day if we ever go vacation and let me go do that yeah but i'll reach out to you and find out all the details so <clears throat> thank sure. you I'm, I'm curious are you familiar with davy crockett I just, yes, I've heard him on your podcast and, uh, okay. yes. So he wrote Greg, the book on it. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, so I, I don't know if you've read his book yet on the Grand Canyon, the Rim to Rim. Um, I haven't. 
I, especially knowing how much you enjoy it. Like I want to go do it after reading the book and understanding, like we even talked about, right. That water that that's there. I mean, just to know that like, Hey, some people lost their lives as they were trying to put that in the whole story behind it. I wonder if it would give you a different look with some of the history of these things that you've traveled past, you know, but I know David Crockett, he does all that history on everything. That's what's just so amazing. And it is so different seeing it when you know the history behind it, it makes it so much more interesting. Um, when I did the first rim to rim to rim with my friend, Becky, her and her husband bought a book from a like a tour shop. And it was, I forgot the name of it, but it was about deaths in the Grand Canyon. So we're kind of flipping through them. It's a, there's so many deaths in the Grand Canyon, like cars going off into the Grand Canyon, like crazy stuff. Like people fall, clearly people falling off. You see that in the news every once in a while, people falling off the edge and falling hundreds of feet. But yeah, there's some, in, there's some interesting stories, but there's a lot, there's a lot, there's a lot of history and a lot of deaths in there. So go have fun, but don't die. She just talked me out yeah. of it. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, it's great. It's beautiful, but you're probably going to die. With the death uh, trap. Stick, stick to the beach because she's going to elbow me off the side. <laughs> going to throw bows. All right. So I've got one more thing about the canyon because we definitely want to talk about the Oregon 200, but this plays into a little bit. Mentioned that you like running alone in the canyon. However... Yeah. Sounds like there was a day in the canyon that you weren't running alone that really uh, had some positive change for you that also led to your crew and pacer uh, when it came to Oregon 200. So so tell us about that day and how that changed things for you down in the canyon. So that's the day I met Sean in person. So we were friends. Um, we've been friends for a couple of years on Instagram, like talking a lot back and forth. He's from Northern California. And uh, so we met up to just run like a friendly thing, just like run the green, the North, the rim was closed. So we decided just like run to where, wherever, and just kind of make up the day and come back. But we just both connected so well. And we're just, yeah, we just started dating from that day. Like it just, we just really hit it off. And it was just like one of those perfect days that has turned into something amazing. <laughs> That's so cool. And, and again, seeing, kind of some of your guys' adventures scrolling. I know it's only a glimpse, right? But um, yeah. uh, just checking up on him, he looks like a super kind of active, adventurous type of guy. Looks like he'd be a blast to hang out with. Um, yeah. And then you're going to tell us all about kind of the, the crewing aspect that he was there for. But but what a way to get, to meet somebody and, and kick that off. So that's and super who cool. who said social media is a bad thing? That's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> So let's talk about the big one. So we mentioned in the intro, I mean, just a few weeks back, the Oregon 200, it was yeah. the, the first year. And so I've got some stats. I kicked off a little bit, but I'm interested in just kind of tell us about the Oregon 200. What made you interested? What is the course like? Kind of give us the rundown. So I've been wanting to do like a 200 I heard about Oregon a few years ago. Well, they were trying to kick the race off, but they had fires and they couldn't get the permitting and they were trying to reroute. They're trying to make it work and they couldn't make it work the last two years. But then when I got the email that they are going to, they opened it for registration for this year, I 
probably was one of the first people to sign up for it. Like I was like, absolutely. Yes. Like I want to do that. I saw, I knew pictures of, I've never been to Oregon, but I've seen pictures and I just want to, if I'm going to do 200 miles, I want it to be beautiful. You know, I want it to be like this amazing course. And it like, it was exceeded my expectations, like with how gorgeous this course was. I, I put up some pictures on Instagram, like the waterfall and the, oh my gosh, it's just, it was breathtaking. So that's a big reason why was because I wanted to do, and I secretly was not, I didn't tell anyone about it for quite a while that I was going to do it. And I was going to do it solo because I wasn't even dating Sean. I didn't, we weren't dating when I signed up for it. Cause I signed up for, I think the beginning of this year, like it was, it was quite a while ago. But then when we got connected, I told him about it. And he's like, I'm actually going to, I'm going to help you. Like, I'm absolutely going to be there for you. So I was like, yeah, I could probably, I could probably use some help. <laughs> That's so cool. Yeah. So, so you, you mentioned the pictures of the course and anybody, if you're listening in, we'll, we'll put it obviously in the link, but your Instagram, it's at AZ runner's high, so at Arizona runner's high. But we were talking, I was like, okay, so we only got a couple glimpses, right. From some of the pictures that were out there. It looks amazing. It looked like the trail didn't, and I'm sure over a hundred mile out and back is different. So that's the question I'm asking you in a second, but it looked like this, like pine needle, smooth trail through these like gigantic, beautiful trees that, you know, lots of green, you got the yeah. waterfalls, but is that how it was the whole time? Or were there different types of terrain? Like talk us through the different sections yeah. of the course. So the first, so you get on a trail at first and you just kind of go straight up. Like it, of course it starts up this mountain and a uh, really beautiful area. And if I remember right, it was pretty smooth. Then you hit like this gravel road and then you're on road for quite a bit and it's all downhill this road. And, um, so there's a lot of like dirt road, like that was like, kind of like, I guess you consider a Jeep road, dirt road. And, um, then there's a section of like a uh, crushed gravel road that goes around this lake. But for the most part, the trail, it was pretty smooth. Like what you, what you saw in pictures, the back half, you do the, this out and back and the, the, the eight stations I cannot pronounce. Like, I don't remember <laughs> Tokati or something is the last one that you turn around. And I did have certain plans throughout this race. Like it's only going to take us this long to get out and back. We're going to do that out and back and then I'm going to rest. But it was, it was a little bit tougher. There was a little bit of obstacles. Um, we were running with this guy. We met Steve, really, really awesome guy. But he came back, he stopped and waited for us. And he told, told me that there's a wall blocking the trail. And I thought, and I was like, oh no. And then he kept on going. I turned to Sean and I said, is he hallucinating? Like a wall blocking the trail. But then I'm like concerned in my head, like, is there going to be a gigantic boulder that somehow fell and it's impassable? Like, how are we going to get to this aid station? But it was all these logs that we had to like climb over and you had to like, it was, they were loose and you had to climb up straight up from there. So it was just like a very sketchy area. And I think he thought it wasn't passable, you know, but we all did it together and then we got up over it. And then there's a few, like a couple river crossings, but it was late. And I know he, he was really tired. We were really tired. So things were seeming almost impossible at this point to us. Like every time we came to a river and we're like, it's so cold. It's like, oh my goodness. So it took longer. And I think just exhaustion was setting in and I got my first hallucination. So we actually fell asleep at that aid station because I was just done. I was like, after that first hallucination, I'm like, 
okay, I need, I need to crash out on a cot for a little bit. So it was a change of plans. Like, so, so pause for a second. What mile was this? My, my watch went out. So uh, my mileage in this race is not from that point. It's kind of off a little bit. If I remember right, that aid station is supposed to be 105 miles, but it was a little longer than that. So I'm thinking 110 at that point. We're around that. So um, it, was like, it was like sleeping tents or sleeping um, cots and all that stuff for everybody. They had a tent with a few cots, cots in it. Yeah. Yeah. So knowing that, what was the overall mileage for the race? Well, they say 200. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's funny talking to other runners that, you know, how you leapfrog and you get to know everyone. It's like always add a few miles, a couple miles, it seems like per each one, because that's what we were getting off our watch. I don't know. So I feel like it was more around 215. I personally added a few more at the end because I might be in the race briefing for the future because I ended up on the highway when I wasn't, you know, and thank God for the live or the spot tracker because they are like, oh my gosh, it was just that was a mistake. Like I was, I was supposed to go left, but, um, it was a miscommunication between me and Sean. He told me, he said something I thought he said, just stay right. And they had some road work going on and they cut, they marked it with like markers that look like the markers for the course is all orange. So they've used orange cones, orange ribbons, and orange, like these discs that go on the ground well, it was an orange cone. So I was like, well, yeah, of course there's nothing, there's no road construction. It was just an orange cone. So I was like, this must be it. So I turned on the highway and I just knew it wasn't right. Cause it's like, there's no way they have us running down this highway at, you know, two in the morning, this dark. And, and I was just up and down the highway trying to figure out where it went wrong. And I was on my map and I couldn't trust my map because my map led me wrong in another area. And I was like trying to figure out, luckily Todd, the race director pulled up. <laughs> he's like, he's like, yeah, I saw you on the spot tracker, you know, we're on the highway. And then I was like, yeah, I, I figured out the same time he did that. I, he just wanted to make sure I got off the highway. Fine. We got back on the course. So I added a little bit of miles. <laughs> So if you ever go run the Oregon 200, like you said, and in the race briefing, they're like, hey, if you end up on the highway, you're wrong. Yeah. You we, know, <laughs> we know how that got in there. That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what did you find to be the most difficult part of the um, course itself? The most difficult part, not, ne not necessarily any section to me was difficult. I guess kind of what I was dealing with, I was dealing with some foot pain. So the crushed gravel road was really brutal to me for my feet at that point because of the foot issue I was having. I ended up kind of somewhat injuring a ligament in one of my, mm -hmm. I found out afterwards because I went to see the doctor is like a ligament. One of my foot is, it got injured or whatever. But so anyways, hitting that crushed gravel was really tough for me. But I can't think of a particular part that I would say that was really tough, you know, compared to all the others. Well, I mean, you did spend 95 hours um, doing this. So I, I'm yes. sure there was some challenges on the feet. Yes. Yeah, that's oh, a long, yeah. long time to be on the feet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and so for those at home, you know, we talked about some of the numbers, but it is a 100 hour limit, which is a 30 minute per mile. Right. And so I think sometimes we, we look at it and go 200 miles. How can you do that? Especially when we think of some of the limits for like a hundred mile, right? A lot of times the, it's like a 30 hour cutoff. 
for something like a 200. And we talked about that with, with Wes, when we talked with him, I would imagine it's such a different race and such a different feel and how you approach. And so one of the things I'm interested in, clearly you finished, so you were prepared going in, right. And, and looking at the stuff and hearing you talk about, and I want to get into training in a little bit, but some of your cross training and different things, I would imagine you were pretty prepared, but is there anything you underestimated about either the course or the race or the distance that now you're like, okay, yeah, I wasn't as prepared in this area that I should have been or something I would change next time going in. Next time going, I, I don't know. I was really worried about pacing myself. I, you know, I knew to go like a slower pace the whole time. And a lot of people that were in this race, they've done multiple 200. So it was great listening to like what their approach on this and their strategy. So it's kind of listening from everyone. And I picked up a strategy from one person saying, after the third night, push it the rest of the time, don't sleep. So that was my plan. I was like, that makes sense. Just don't sleep and just go for it, you know? So I never slept before during race, you know, I never did in a hundred. So th that was new to me. So I, for some reason, anytime I started getting all those hallucinations, I just had to call it and that um, my, I got so many crazy hallucinations when I didn't want to go to sleep. But I realized in the end, even though it's only 13 miles away, I took an hour <laughs> and went to sleep because I was like, just how my mind is right now. You just, you know, and you know, you have an, all this buffer time. Like I was like, I had plenty of time. I wasn't going for a certain goal. So it was just kind of like, as long as I'm in that window where I'm going to finish this on time, that was my only thing. But I know I'm not answering your question though. Like what, what would I do differently? I, I don't know. Like, um, I used to struggle with nutrition during like my first hundred mile. I was so depleted and muggy on the first time I did it. And I remember, how am I going to change this? It was so miserable, like so depleted. I couldn't eat at all. And so from there, Palisades was my first hundred that I, I've started from beginning eating and didn't have any stomach issues. And this 200, no stomach issues. I was like throwing back double hamburgers and like eating all the food, double bowls of chili, like 13 miles, like the one that I ended up falling asleep at. I um, had two bowls of chili before I slept, you know, like I was eating all the way up to the end. So I feel like, gosh, that helps you so much in these long distances if you're up on the food and it just helps with your energy. It helps with, and it just helps get you through. I love hearing yeah. the food stuff. And all I could think of was West Plate talking about the burgers and stuff. I'm sure he probably chowed down, but I love hearing that about the 200. It sounds like even more of a, just kind of a buffet fest than even yeah. some of your other stuff. So I know everybody's personality is a little different. <clears throat> and you mentioned that you didn't have any really specific goals for the race, but you are a podium finisher in other distances. Um, we talked yeah. about that in the intro. We mentioned that. So we know that you're fast and we know that you've had success in actual races. So did you have any expectations going into this yourself? Like, did you say, yeah, I can see myself doing this versus that or, or not at all because the distance was just so big. This is, since it was my first time doing it and everything, I just really wanted to see how the experience was with no no goals. But the goal was, since Sean was meeting me, I wanted to finish on Monday like afternoon so we can have that time until Tuesday to leave because the, the race is over Tuesday, but I ended up finishing Tuesday morning, which isn't a big deal. But I was like, yeah, that was my goal. Like I just told him my only goal is I would love to finish Monday afternoon. You know if we can make that happen but we we didn't make it happen <laughs> well if it was if it was 15 miles shorter like it should have been and you didn't take the nap <laughs> then everything would have been okay <laughs> yeah, <it's true. laughs> 
That's awesome. Yeah. I, I mean, I was always curious because I know that there's people who are like competitive in different, different distances and everything. But then when they start talking about doing a 200, it's a whole nother ball game. And they're like, I just want to see if I can accomplish it. Um, yes. I love the idea of the Oregon 200. It sounds like an incredible course and everything. It's a brand new 200. And you mentioned yeah. that you've been thinking about other 200s as well. So why did you choose that race over Cocodona, which is closer to you and things like that? So Cocodona, I have my eyes on that one too. Maybe eventually I, uh, the first year I paced and crewed a friend that did it. So I felt like with all the pacing I did, I did so many of the sections and living here, I've done so many of those sections that I've seen the majority, almost all the entire course. So, but that's, that's cool. And that's cool going in a race that you, you know, but when I do these two hundreds, I want it to be almost like a vacation, like something I've never seen before. So if I do Moab, I've never been there. So it'd be like all new to me, all those other ones. So that's what I'm looking more for, for these long distances, like actually traveling. So I can experience that state, you know, the best way you can, I think is doing what you love like this outdoors. And that's a really good answer. That's a good answer. I was wondering if it was because of the familiarity that you had with, with something like Cocodone and stuff in the space. I didn't realize you'd already run that much of the course though. Um, but you yeah. also subtly mentioned that um, 200s and that you're looking at doing more of them and all this. So is the 200 your new magic distance that you like? Yes. Every, I mean, I'm not going to do it like all the time, but yeah, I'm definitely going to do more. Like I was even during it. I'm like, I love this distance when usually like, I'm never going to do this again until <laughs> a week later. But I was like, even after like the day after my friends were asking, I was like, yes, I absolutely love that distance. Why? <laughs> Why? Yeah, my friend asked me too. Um, and I said, because it's the whole, so much is going to happen. So it's like that whole anticipation, exciting, like you're going to be out there for days, like all the things that you're going to come across, like what's going to happen, what obstacles are, am I going to have to face and all that? It's to me, that's so exciting. It's like, what's going to get thrown my way? What am I going to have to overcome to finish this and all that? It's the people. It's just a different experience. Like when I do like these trail marathons, of course, you're just doing it fast and it's over quick, you know, but like these, you get to know the people. And I met this guy, Ohm, and he said the same thing. He said, these 200s are something else because when you go to an aid station, it's not like when you're doing a marathon or even said like a hundred miles, you're going kind of, you're trying to be quick to get the cutoffs. He's like, and you just try, get your food and you shovel it and you go. He's like, you sit back and you're talking, you know, and you get to know these people. So you almost become like family out there. So when you see each other out on the trail, you like, you've become like this little tribe of people that you're going to see, you're going to see them. And then you don't know what happened to them for a few hours. You see them again. You're so excited, you know, like seeing them again. And I, it's that whole, it's like I said, like, you know, I do this for the experience. It's the, that whole experience, the people you meet, just doing something hard and overcoming things. And it's always going to be something different because when, when I was talking about my, my foot issue I had, that's probably not going to be an issue next time. It's probably going to be, who knows, like last month, two months ago was my lungs. Like it's, it's always something <laughs> you don't know what you're going to try to get through, but, and that's what I like. Cause it's, it's the unpredictable. So let's stay on the experience part. Okay. I, I'm interested. I want to kind of, uh, contrast and and everything has sounded really positive. So let's start there. But when you think about like, oh, moments that really stood out of like the favorite memories or the favorite experiences out mm -hmm. on the Oregon 200 trail, like what comes to mind? 
I would say a couple. So Sean paced me from, and I'm going to say this wrong. It starts it's like a limolo, limolo, um, aid station out to Tokati and it's a, the out and back. <laughs> You're just making up words now. <laughs> he said, yeah he's like he jumped in last minute he was going to pace me on it because it was going to be a 50k basically a 50k out and back i feel like that's when we saw the waterfalls and it was just like the most gorgeous part of the course so to me that really the whole area of the things we had to overcome he saw me in my worst like i was what right before when i saw that first hallucination i was not doing well how exhausted i was so he saw me in pain completely exhausted like you know when you're at your absolute worst so I just feel like we went through so much during that section that I feel like that's really memorable for me. And then the other part was I slept at that cot for two hours. So I figured everyone I've been running with, I'm never going to see them again. Cause I was like, I just took so long there. It's still pretty early in the race. When I got back out to section after Limolo, you go to Saka, Saka something. <laughs> <laughs> It's like trail for five miles and then it's like 15 miles of this like crushed gravel road. And when I hit the gravel road, I felt it was 130, 140 miles in. And I, I don't know what it is. It, I felt like my best during the entire race. So like it was all uphill and I was just like slowly like running up it though. And then walking, running, walking. And then I caught up to all those people that I've been running with the whole race. So they were like, they're excited to see me because I haven't seen them since night, you know, since it was dark you know, that night before. And that's where I saw my second hallucination up on that road. <laughs> All right, let's talk about them. I, I love the crazy because <laughs> I am a bit crazy myself. So tell me your favorite hallucination. So they were all so different. The first one caught me because I, I didn't know like it was a, a hallucination at first and it just scared me because I was like, what is this tall guy with a cloak doing in the middle of a forest staring over a dark cliff? Like when something is like scary to me, I don't scream or I don't like get loud. I just like try to internalize it. Like, what am I going to do in this situation? Because I told Sean about it because he was up by him and then it disappeared. And he's like, hey, why don't you tell me there's this guy in a cloak? And I was like, I was just trying to see the situation. Like I knew you can handle him, but I was trying to see what was going to happen. But when he disappeared, I just couldn't, my mind was blown. I couldn't believe it was a hallucination. And then the second one was even more real to me because it looked like there was a real person. He was a runner. I thought he was a runner in the race. He had his pack on. He was sitting on the side. I remember details about him, shaved head, wearing like a athletic shirt. I think he said Spartan in the back on a gray shirt. And just so real. So when, when he was gone, I was just like, I can't believe it was like, the other one was kind of, it was dark. This was day, this is daytime when I saw the second one. That was crazy. And then my last hallucination, so I said, I didn't want to sleep. I didn't want to sleep anymore, but we were running down and it was getting dark. And I, I think I lost my mind. Like everything was hallucination. I was going down this road and it was like, the only thing that wasn't changed was the road. Like everything around the road, things from above me were falling. Everything to my left, like was spinning and coming at me, like mechanical stuff. I saw boats, all, all kinds of stuff on my left, like old cars, like antique cars and like all kinds of, and then the right, like I said, it was like Halloween, like monsters and skulls and everything. And monsters were like rising up and getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And I was like, wow. And I knew that, I knew there were hallucinations, but I was like, wow, how am I going to finish this? 
<laughs> this is going to get worse and worse for the next 13 miles. But I was like, yeah, I need some sleep. <laughs> what, are the, what are the chances they had some peyote at one of those aid stations that you dug into? <laughs> I know. Right? <laughs> so I, I'm actually really fascinated because, so I've only had what I would call hallucinations probably twice. And, but when I had them, it was more of my mind mistaking things like right. quickly, right? Like, oh, why is there a rhino in the woods? And I look at it, I'm like, oh, it's a tree or a rock or something. But it's like my mind was interpreting things different. But I've heard about people trying to pet cats that weren't there and things. So I'm huh? so I'm interested. So when you see this guy, was it quick? Hey, out of my peripheral, I think there's somebody there. Or was this like, no, I'm looking at somebody and it, it's several moments of recognizing something that's not there. Yeah, I feel like there's different level. I'm not expert at hallucinations, but I feel like there's different levels of hallucinating. I don't know. Because like I said, the first guy, I should have known as a hallucination, like the seven foot tall guy with white hair, the cloak on, like that's just odd. The second guy looked really real, you know, and it was out of nothing. Like there was nothing that resembled this human being in the daylight that had a pack. It was just so real. And when I turned that corner, there's nothing on that corner that would look like it would be a rock pile that looked like a person you know what i mean so i did hallucinate muggy on the first year i did it but it was like what you're saying so i didn't really call it like a lot of hallucinating like what i did during this race but it was like a lot of logs were down in the in the trail and i kept on my mind was tricking thinking there were people so i thought people were like dead along the trail like all these bodies were logs in the trail i knew what i was seeing because i remember joking around to my pacer saying there's so much carnage <laughs> <laughs> so much you know you know yeah. ashley and that's a trend because in your other hallucination there was also halloween type things you mentioned so there's this morbid fascination that your brain goes huh yeah so there's people with these wonderful hallucinations and i always thought like if i hallucinate i hope it's gonna be great because if i'm out in the woods i don't want like these creepy ones no of course i eat creepy ones but again like the shows i watch i like that investigative discovery channel so it's like of course that's what's in my head <laughs> i'm actually super interested in understanding the science behind it like i may go research what is happening in the brain when these things come up yeah. it, it makes sense to me mine was always animals right it's like goats or a rhino or things like that that my yeah. mind was going hey weird animal and then when i would think about it i'm like that doesn't work but I'm actually super interested to understand what's happening in the mind when you see something that is really not there at all. And you can look at it and go, I know that's not real. Like your Halloween stuff and stuff falling. It's like the sixth sense. She sees dead people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's, you're crossing over to the spirit world. I see dead people. Um, <laughs> speaking of, um, speaking of being alone in, in the woods for a hundred miles out and back and everything. Um, mm -hmm. We did look at the race uh, results a little bit. There were 45 people who signed up for the race, 31 finished, 14 DNF'd. And it means you're going to be out there by yourself for a period of time uh, with nobody around. You've got Sean as your crew, and he only paced for 50K, so 31 of the 215 miles he was hanging out with you. What would you say are some of the, the dangers, I guess, out there? Or were you actually ever scared? Other than, let's ignore your hallucinations and all the morbid side of it, right? <laughs> That's pretty frightening and kind of freaking. I probably would not ever walk near you in, at night because of that. But like, what are the real dangers of things that may be out there for people who are considering doing a 200? 
You know, I didn't see much wildlife, so I feel like wildlife was not really something there. Um, I have to back it up. Like Sean did run a lot. He, he, <laughs> he went to aid stations and he would run back out to meet me. So he got so many miles in on that. Like he clocked like over, like a little over a hundred miles, which Dang. Is I know. Right. I told him like any, you don't have to do this. Cause like, this has got to be exhausting, but he, he did. He's a beast. Like, yeah. But, um, the only time I was nervous was towards the very end, two in the morning, going up. I had actually had a taser on me though, just in case, um, just because people, you know, I didn't know what the course is going to be like. And I'm glad I did at this one point, people are super nice in Oregon, but you just never know. It was like 2am and I'm out by myself for the rest of the time. And you're going up this like, um, dirt road and there's people out there like in their car, you know? So one guy would pull up and like, hit, like he, I don't think he knew the race was going on. Like, Hey, do you need a ride? I'm like, no, I'm in a race. You know? he and he was like oh really like you're okay like you're just running at night like yeah and then he he left me alone then another guy came up at a certain point in the truck and he said uh you all right I said I'm fine I'm just out here running and he's like you're just going for a night run like it's like two or three a.m like you're just going for a night I'm like no I'm in this race <laughs> and then he was really nice and he left. And then the only time I felt uncomfortable, there was a few people and they're out making a lot of noise off to the side and they came out out of this like side road and they were going to go left, but they went right because I was going right. And then they pulled up next to me and I was like, Oh, I don't know what they're up to. What are they doing? But he was just like, Hey, like, what are you doing? Do you, you want to get in my car? Like, you know, and the person, the passenger didn't look at me, but they're like, do you want to get in the car? You need help. And I was like, no. And then I told him a few times I'm in this race, trying to explain everything. And then they went on then turned around and went back. But you just never know. Like all those people, they didn't intend anything bad, but it was just like in the back of my mind, like every time, like, thank God I have this taser just in case if this doesn't go well, I have, I have something on me. So that's my thing. Like, that's not even really something probably people have to be worried about. You know what I mean? It's a great area, but you just never know in any of these. I think about other distances and if you're out on roads, you just, people are out there, you know, like people are, some people are up to no good. You should always just be protected, be prepared. I appreciate you saying that you wouldn't want that to like discourage people or think that's something to worry about, but you had a taser for a reason. Yeah. Right? Is that something you will carry in general just as a personal safety? Yes. Yes. Cause I've, yeah, I mean, doing this and I've been all over the place. I've done so many solo things. I've had a couple bad run-ins before, like where it could have been really sketchy, really bad. And there's one time I didn't have something and I wish I did. Like you just honestly, and they're in the middle of nowhere, different parts of like Arizona and stuff, but you come into people and you just don't know what they're up to. Was, I was ran to a couple guys that were doing drugs and stuff and they were just like up to no good. And it was a bad, it was a weird, bad situation. I just remember wishing I had something on me. It was by a lake and this family came up and I took the opportunity to talk to them to get them into the knowing I'm there and then went around the guys because they blocked me. They weren't going to let me go farther on this trail. It was just, it was like an eye opening thing. I don't know. I don't know what was going through their head, but I've talked to a few girls about this and other people. Cause I always ask people like when they run around, like in the city of Phoenix, I always ask girls that do that. I'm like, do you bring anything for protection? Cause they're, you know, there's a lot of sketchy people out in the cities and stuff. And, and I've heard feedback from them about some 
bad things have happened, some situations that could have been really bad and all that. And I tell them about like my experiences just, you know, for awareness, because, you know, you think you're on trails, you're safe, but there's people out in the middle of nowhere sometimes, and you just don't know what they're up to and what their intentions are. And I, and I hate the fact that you have to carry something like that as a, a male, I don't have that challenge or that fear and stuff, but I know other female runners that do and stuff. And it's unfortunate. And I don't, I hate that for anybody that, that there's this issue of safety. I'm just going to go ahead and say this. If, if somebody's listening and, and it's a lady who runs and everything, and she's not sure the, the right kind of taser to get or whatever it is, I'm going to tell them just that they should reach out to you through instant message, reach out and just kind of ask you about it because I think everybody should feel like they're safe and they have options. And so I think that's cool that you yeah, actually share whatever, that. whatever makes you feel comfortable. Mace is great. Like the gel mace instead mm-hmm. of spray where it missed, it can get on you. The gel mace is good, but I feel like taser is better because you can, I, I don't want to test mace just because it, you can have that hazard of getting on you and stuff, but a taser, you can always know is chart. You can charge it and you can just turn it on and you can hear the static when you press it. So, you know, you got the power in your hand. I just, for some reason, taser is my, my thing. I like to have on me. It's small too. It's a small like taser you can stick in. Right. Keeps the kids in line too. Well, yeah. I mean, add a yeah. bonus. <laughs> Crank it up. <laughs> And it's why Sean came running back every time. I'm don't <laughs> hit me with it again. That's right. <laughs> so I'm a big proponent of not living in fear, mm-hmm. but I'm just as big a proponent as being prepared. Yeah. Yes, right. And, exactly. Absolutely. And we've got a, a friend out here that runs. She she actually reminds me a lot of you, or you remind me of her either way, but she runs with a knife. And I was so not surprised to find that out. I think it's good when people take the time to gain the confidence to say, hey, I, you know. Hopefully I won't ever need this, but I feel prepared in the case that something comes because then you can go out and enjoy the time versus having to have that worry. And I've seen a post too from another you know runner that we know and that we've met and she started just caring. She started running with a gun and she said, I've never felt more comfortable. I, I was unsure about doing this, but I finally felt strong and comfortable and now I can just enjoy my runs because I feel prepared you know, if something were to happen. It's so. just insane that people have to carry something. Yeah. I know. It's like insurance though. It feels like mm-hmm. you just have insurance with you, you yeah. know? I, and I would, I would prefer you people be prepared. Though. Absolutely. Like it's just insane that it has to happen, but being prepared is primo because I'd rather you be prepared and do the thing you love to do than be afraid and not do anything at all. Yep. Absolutely. I do have some questions about your training and some different things, but I do want to know. So it's, it, again, it almost sounds like everything was pretty positive. I know you mentioned the foot and going through kind of your low moments, but I would imagine that there's some huge ups and some huge downs and something like a 200. And so was there ever a moment that you got really deep in the pain cave or had doubts about the race? Um, or even if you didn't have the doubts, like talk us through any low moments and then how did you keep moving forward when you were working through that? So I'd say the lowest moment is like getting to that aid station at Tokati, which is that it's supposed to be 105 mile aid station, just because the exhaustion and my foot pain was pretty intense. Uh, I couldn't even get in the cot. My, for some reason, when after I sat down for a while, my right hip seized up and I could barely like hobble over to the the cot and like it was a struggle getting into the sleeping bag but it's so interesting to me this is something I experienced I never experienced any other race like you can have certain discomforts and you take a rest like that and I woke up and I had no hip issue like everything just felt great you're like rejuvenated like after having just a little bit of sleep and just like 
get, getting up, getting breakfast at that aid station and drinking some coffee, like good to go. You know, it's just like, it, to me, it's amazing how that rest can just turn it around. Can you connect yeah. some dots for me? How long is this little bit of rest? Oh, that was, that was that two hour I was talking about. That was, my, that was my longest rest during the race. I took two hours there, but I knew like when I was going down, they asked how much time I was like, I'm going to need two hours. Like I was so spent at that point. And I was like, I know it's going to set it back, but I know I'm going to need that long. It seems so foreign to me because when I think about long stuff that I've done, to go, okay, if I'd covered a hundred miles and then I sleep two hours, I can't imagine going, Oh, I feel pretty solid now. Like, let me keep going. I, I was am like, Oh my God, I'm so wrecked. Right. But I, I do know that again, when we talked to Wes and he just talked about kind of the secret of two hundreds is that it's so much slower than even a hundred or obviously anything shorter than that. But I feel like even doing backyards where it's quote unquote slow, I can't imagine how I'd feel after two hours. So it's, it sounds foreign, but I'm going to take your word because it seems to be a theme too, that after some of the rest that people can get up and get moving. Now, I imagine you're still probably a little stiff getting out of there. Is that the case or were you like, yeah, I feel like. Now, that, that part, I remember the hard part was it was really cold. So getting out of the sleeping bag, it was a struggle and my socks were damp from, we went through, like, like I said, there's some of that like rivers, but we didn't go through the river. We ended up climbing over these logs to get over the rivers. So we wouldn't get soaked, but there was marshy areas. So your feet are getting wet regardless. So getting those wet socks back on, it's already really cold. So you're just so comfortable a minute ago. And now you're, you're literally getting in your discomfort. You're putting cold, wet socks on and you're getting out of that sleeping bag. Like it's something you just have to go yep i gotta i gotta keep going <laughs> <laughs> so just i'm gonna stay on the just for one more second <clears throat> because again people who are considering doing this race you know when you think of the other 200s like you know moab and Cogadona, for example you think they're gonna be kind of warm they're gonna be hot and stuff but you've used this reference that is cold a couple times here you talked about the water being cold when you had to cross the rivers you talked about nighttime being cold just now and everything so um it's oregon the race i believe was august 25th you can correct me if i'm wrong I think this yeah. has started, um, which is the towards the end of summer. Most other states in North America here in, in the U.S. are kind of hot, and so to think that they're, you're cold at the end of August is probably a really foreign idea for a lot of folks. And so, if they're thinking about doing it in August, they're not thinking in terms of cold. So, how cold was it? I mean, you're coming from Phoenix, which it's blazing in Phoenix. It probably wasn't really cold. It's just that I'm so I've been so used to our record 110 plus heat this whole summer that I was so heat acclimated, you know, like I was telling people before going into this, that I was worried about the cold, even though it's not to other people probably even consider cold, it's gonna be cold to me, because I was so used to the heat. So people that might be listening to this on the race are probably like, mm, it wasn't cold. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what I'm trying to understand. Like, what was the temperature, the air temperature at all? Honestly, I don't even know. I saw my breath at night. Mm. So I'm thinking cool, huh? what it Maybe got down to forties or fifties, you know, but may like that would be the lowest, maybe fifties, maybe fifties. Perfect running weather. Which is perfect. Yeah. Perfect running just... weather, but waking up after sleeping for two hours, it's good. Gonna... Yeah. It's cold walking weather. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> Chilly to climb back out into. Thank you for the clarification. Cause I was curious because you mentioned a couple of times and I'm, my brain was like, it's end of August and it's so hot where I'm at. How is this cold? But. Cool. People do these races in the snow and they're getting snowed on and it's freezing. No, 
<laughs> and I'm talking about this Oregon race in the summer being cold. <laughs> it's all perspective. Yes. Clarity is a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think it looks amazing. Um, like I said, I think if I ever decide to do a 200, Oregon is probably the most attractive so mm -hmm. far to me, um, especially seeing the pictures. I just think, let me ask this, because the one thing with the woods, spider webs, were there a bunch of spider webs out there or was it all right? Not a whole lot. I don't like, I don't remember, you know, getting caught up in spider webs. I've done that in different other states, like running. I remember like getting a lot of cobwebs all over you, but I don't remember that being an issue. It only that. happens to people in first. Yeah, that's right. I'll let, I'll let everybody <laughs> else go first. And they cleared it all for us. So, right. I mean, if you're not going to win it, Jeremy, then you should be fine. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, so before we go, and we're getting pretty close to wrapping it up here. I'm very interested in your training because you've kind of gone through the distances. You've done well, like we said, in other races, knocked out the first 200, finished on your first try. So let's talk some training. What were kind of your main strategy or what were the main pillars that you were focused on leading up to the 200? Like what, was, what did you focus on there? I kind of changed gears going into this. It was a lot more of just like longer running, hiking because I knew there's going to be a lot of hiking. So I kind of switched up and did more hiking in my running and with the running and trying to slow it down so I can like mentally prepare, like I'm going to go slower, you know, and just like longer distances, which is great for like when I just did the rim to rim to rim was not too long before this. That was in between Palisades kind of prepared me for this, you know, doing that hundred. And then I did rim to rim to rim right before, like a couple of weeks before it and all that so yeah just doing the longer distance training runs with a lot of hiking and all that so yeah. what about I, I heard in another podcast that cross training strength training has yeah. been kind of an important part of your routine did that stay consistent into this or did that take a little bit of a break no matter what I do in life, I'm always going to have the gym. Like I've been doing that since I was 17 years old. I'm 41 years old. So I just love the strength part of it. I swim laps. I do cycling classes and I just love it. I love, like I told you in like the email, like I, I, before running, it was always fitness, like circuit training, hits, yoga, Pilates, swimming, running, cycling. Like it's all, I love it all, you know, but of course trail running has like been my my biggest thing that I love, but so I tie it all into training. Cause it makes it fun. I have to have that. I have to change it up. Like I can't just run like every day. So I do gym days. I even do things at home, you know, like yoga. And I just feel like all that balances out, you know, the yoga with the stretching and the relaxing and all that. And then strength training is always good to prevent injuries and strengthen different muscles and cycling. I, I know that makes me stronger and build that like that aerobic in you too and um and then swimming's great too like mobility and same thing i use like the swimming laps is like um, my cool down at the gym when i'm done with everything else yeah he's an all-around athlete yeah that's what she's saying to you <laughs> what's your what is your um go-to nutrition so that's it, always changing i ate a lot during this race um it's called foosballs I got them. I don't think they're selling them anymore, but they were at like, I think Sam's club, but you can get them online and stuff. And, uh, they're, 
they're just really healthy. They're ve- I'm not vegan, but they're vegan and they, they have different flavors. I have like peanut butter jelly one and like this caramel, this caramel one. And they're just, they pack in like almost, I think 300 calories. So, and they're like, they're just easy to eat and stuff and they're, they're good on your stomach. So I was eating a lot of those. I didn't know if how solids were going to go. So I brought a whole bunch of, I drink orgain, um, protein shakes. Mm. So I was drinking those like every time I met up with Sean, I'd have just one of those just to make sure I'm up on. Cause that's like a lot of liquid calories you can take. I made a lot of real food. Like that's like my thing. I don't like a lot of prepackaged food. So peanut butter and jelly. So like I went to an eight station when I was eating their food, I'd ask them like, can I have like peanut butter and jellies to go? They're awesome. And they'd make me peanut butter and jelly sandwiches to go. I ate so many peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. I thought I'd be sick of peanut butter, but I'm still not. And like, I just made sure every time I went to eight station, I had like a lot of real food. So if they had hamburgers, it was funny at one time uh, they made me hammer and I was like, yeah, can I have another one? Like you can eat all this right now. Like, yes. And then like, it was the same thing with the chili. It was like the best. I was like, wow. I was like not doing good at that point. But when he gave me chili, I was like, this is like the best chili I've ever had. Like how did you just make this stuff from scratch? He's like from a can. (laughs) 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 Gotta be kidding me. This is so good. He made me another bowl and I was like, yeah, it's just, I've never ate so much during like a race before. (laughs) It's interesting. So <clears throat> I'm not going to camp out here too long, but we had, we talked to a nutritionist not too long ago, Julie Shobe as a guest. Yes. She talked about the importance of uh, protein as well as uh, being one of the things that you're trying to consume throughout the course race. And I started writing down everything you said before you actually used the word protein. I was going to come back to you and say it too, because you said foosballs, PB&J, organ, nuts, hamburger, and chili at the end. That's all protein. And I, that's, that's a key, I think, for something going this far. If you're not thinking in terms of how you're going to get in like real food, including protein, you're making a mistake. And it's just, we're hearing it everywhere. Yeah. Well, especially the organ, right? Because there's, mm-hmm. there's, it's one thing to get a mix of protein, but that's like straight protein. And so I was thinking, wow, okay, that's a lot to take in, but going that distance, the difference though, too, I think probably you've got a history with your cross training of like, I take in a lot of protein. I should probably take in more during races, but like, I mean, that's pretty much what I had for dinner tonight, right. was protein with like a meal shake. And, and so I'm used to a lot of protein and that that was my second thought was, Oh, it's a lot, but at the same time, she's probably used to digesting that. And so moving slower, being able to take that down was probably a really good piece of recovery. So, well, and aid stations were 15 to 20 miles apart. And so that's when she was taking this. So you're talking eight hour increments, seven to eight hour increments, probably between them. Yeah. They have really good food. I mean, like I remember having scrambled eggs and hash browns and like, yeah, <laughs> great. Oh, she's just going to go run these so she can eat. I know, it makes a meme yeah. when I like. <laughs> she doesn't get fed at home. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What else? So, Anything else? No, I mean, I think that that's pretty much, but I am interested. I mean, you mentioned, mm-hmm. you know, that you're interested in doing more do you already have kind of your eye on your next big challenge or are you still feeling that out? What, what are your thoughts there? So, yeah, I mean, I want to go, like I said, for more of the 200s. There's actually one that it's still in the making right now on the East Coast, the Appalachia 200. Rumbum. I believe April, have you heard of it? April 2025? <laughs> Yeah. So he, it's the Rumbum group. Um, it's Sean Blanton's yeah. new race. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It just came across that. And I was like, that looks really amazing. Yeah. yeah. That's one. And then the other one, it just got released for April. I think it's April, 2024 is the Southern 200 that also just got announced as well um, by a different race director. And that they were featured on Adventure Dogger. Oh, okay. 
And that yeah. one is a point to point. Southern, yeah, the Southern 200 is a point to point, um, like <laughs> insane point to point for 200 miles. The yeah. run bum one that's going to be taking place for the Appalachian 200 when it starts, I think his first year in 2024, he's going to do just um, a hundred mile race. And then in 2025, he's going to do the 200. And I think it's going to be, I think it's an out and back is, is his plan or it's 450s. I don't know exactly, so don't quote me on that. But, okay. Um, he's still working out the details on that. He just announced that as well, as well recently. Yeah. Sounds yeah. like you got some options though. Well, hey, if, yeah. you, if, you make, if you make it out, you know, East Coast, I say, I was going to say, if you make it out this way, I guess neither one of them's right by us, but <laughs> you know, closer than Arizona, that's for sure. Yeah. True story. Well, look, we, we've really enjoyed this. You know, it's been fun following your journey. We're super excited to have you on. We appreciate you sharing everything. And it sounds like you've listened to some episodes, which I'm super honored by, but you know, then that probably that our motto is just show up and just at least from the outside perspective that looks like something you do day in and day out whether it's the gym whether it's new adventures and then obviously you know doing things to take on the 200 so super impressive we we just really appreciate your time yeah thank you thank you i had a great time talking to you guys and for the ultra running guys family as always we just appreciate you so much uh like i said share with your friends and make sure so it's AZ Runners High. Is Instagram the best place for people to connect with you if they want to? It really is. Yeah. It okay. Is. We'll we'll put that in the notes. And we're gonna keep you around because we're gonna do a fun little segment for Patreon that we really enjoy. But for everybody else, uh, we appreciate you so much and we'll talk soon. God guts. I think you should do a mashup of all the times she said the aid station names. <laughs> <laughs> I heard when I was saying them during the race, like this one guy's like, let's just call it lemons. Like, let's just call it lemons. So I was like, yeah, let's start renaming these. Oregon 200 sounds safe, except for the creepers on the road. Yeah, except for the people you got a taser along for, the way. I don't have a taser. I'm like, oh, dang it. I'm going to give me a taser. Sorry, you hear the airplanes coming over. I don't know if you can hear them. The no. jets. Okay. I can't, we can't hear the jets, but we can hear it's like making your voice echo. Okay, it's because uh, I live close to Luke Air Force Base, and the, they're just flying the I think F-16s over Sacagawea, Takatee, something I don't even know. I don't even know. I should have studied like the names before the race. The only normal one, CT Beach and Sam Prairie. All the other names is like what? <laughs> hey, tell me, say the two normal ones again. It sounded like she cussed at you, didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> CT Beach. CT is in the. I see you too. <laughs> yes, he did. <laughs> um, if it was CU Beach. <laughs> We're all oh. intoxicated Ooh. on nothing. So I would have called it Mogollon, but I heard we tried to look it up and it was Mogion. How do you how do you pronounce it? A muggy on. Muggy on. Like like mug, like mug as in like a drinking mug, like muggy on. Mug. Just like it's spelled. (laughs) (laughs) Just like it's spelled. I think the double L is the yuck. All right, listen, thank you so much. We recognize the fact that you are probably just hanging on just for a couple more minutes as you're finishing up your run. But really, we do want to give you a huge thank you for the constant support that you've shown us. We hear you and we feel you. And the best way for us to continue to grow is for you to share us with your friends. Tell them what you put in your ears when you're out there on a long run. 
hit the like button, leave us a comment, um, leave a review and give us some direct feedback on what you like about the show and also what you don't like. We're here to improve and do it for you. And it really means the world. And listen, if you would like to support financially, you can connect with us on Patreon at patreon.com slash the ultra running guys, or you can use the support link in the show notes. Any and all support goes directly back into growing the show and helping us get better at what we love to do, which is to serve all of you. And with that, finish up that run, get cleaned up, and just show up. Clean. Clean. <laughs> <laughs>